G'day listeners, welcome to the Braintainment Podcast. This show is an interesting mix between pop culture and personal development with a very wide range of guests that come on the show for a chat from the sports space, philosophy, health and fitness, entertainment and everything in between. The idea is to entertain or to educate you guys and hopefully sometimes both, either through just myself or with the guests that come on the show as we explore different ideas and concepts and have some really interesting conversations. The mission with the Brain Taming Podcast is to raise a million dollars, and that all starts with uh, building an audience and a platform. So thank you for tuning in. Our goal is to raise a million dollars towards brain injury recovery and research. So if you enjoy the show, please share it with your friends and family, and be sure to subscribe. With that said, strap in and enjoy this episode. Okay, we're back on. Welcome everyone to another episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is a really important episode, I think, and I hope you do get some value. Um, I should point out that you are stuck with me. I'm not joined by a special guest today, unfortunately, but with that said, I do encourage you to stick around, not because I'm so amazing, but I think because this episode is going to unpack um, not just an important topic, being the world of mental health and, and mental well-being, uh, particularly at a time like right now, but we're going to unpack some ideas that I've found personally extremely valuable that I hope I can pass on and, and add some value in this conversation today. I should point out as well, um, look, my whole thesis in life is do what works, right? And ultimately, your goal is to feel good. If you listen to me th- uh, think out loud or speak on this show before, you know, I'm all about brain chemistry and and getting that recipe right. So essentially, what we're looking at today is different tactics and strategies and, and considerations that we're going to unpack Ultimately, that are just pieces of a puzzle that add up to optimal brain chemistry from my perspective. Um, I'm not a doctor. I don't have all the answers. And there are people far more educated, more equipped, and more articulate to share um, their thoughts and concepts around this around this space. But hey, this is me playing my role. Um, it's a subject matter I'm deeply passionate about, mental well-being. Um, and having lived through the ups and downs, the good and the bad, like a lot of people listening here, I can certainly share things from my perspective anyway. So if you take away a couple of things that are really valuable that you can uh, implement into your life and the way you go about uh, your daily routine, then fantastic. Um, there's no reason we shouldn't all be feeling great at least the vast majority of the time. Um, but the sad reality is that is it's just not the case for too many people. So we're going to dive into 10 pillars of mental well-being, again, from my perspective, and just kind of riff on those ideas. So I'll try not to derail too much and keep it as concrete as possible, but I do appreciate you tuning in. I hope you stick around and get some value, particularly if you, particularly if you are in a, in a in a spot of bother at the moment, whether you struggle with debilitating anxiety, if you're sliding towards depression. Um, yeah, they're fucking nasty and it's a slippery slope. So hopefully we can uh, unpack a few things here that add value. Now, I want you to realize too and understand that if – you're listening and you find that your mental well-being is far from ideal. It is certainly not a reflection of your worth or even your ability to feel fantastic and live a fucking excellent life. It's simply a sign that something isn't in order to produce the right chemistry, the right brain chemistry. It's as simple as that, right? It's math, it's science. And then I find that uh, personally extremely comforting and empowering knowing that, hey, it's just a matter of getting the recipe right and all of a sudden my life experience is is completely different. So uh, I think it's a really important point to uh, to make. And 
because it no longer revolves around you being special or whether or not you're naturally gifted with happiness by comparison to others who seemingly are, but rather that you can find comfort in the fact that knowing that this is a matter of science and you, being the human animal that you are, can fundamentally change your entire life experience thanks to the beauty that is neuroplasticity, your brain's ability to adapt and change. Now, I do speak with passion. I mentioned at the top, I'm really passionate about this subject matter. So it's certainly not from a place of authoritarianism. There's a lot I don't know. Um, but if you, if it sounds like I'm jumping through the mic and, and throwing ideas down your throat, it's because I believe so strongly in what I'm sharing here. But uh, it might not be for you. Now, this is a really important point I want to make before we dive into the 10 pillars of mental well-being. Become an experimenter, right? Become a become a chemist of your own mind and try stuff that works. So I think that the big trap that people fall into, whether they're trying to adopt a new skill or or improve something, and certainly when it comes to feeling better and 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 adjusting things in their life to improve their mental well-being. From my perspective, anyway, something I've observed is that it's easy to try and tick a box, right? The world of mental health is explored a lot in today's um, content online and, and in conversations, which is fucking amazing that it's getting the attention that it deserves. But the challenge with that is there's a whole bunch of different ideas. Some work for some uh, uh, that don't work for others. And as soon as you try to tick a box, you're not doing it for the right reasons, right? So I'll give you an example. Something like journaling, meditation, things like that, they are practices and they have a significant benefit and we're going to explore that. But ultimately, it's there to make you feel better right? Not to tick a box. So it's about framing, which is, look, there's a lot of nuance to this as well. Um, but I'll, the goal is to feel better, right? So if that's not working, maybe you need to shift something around. Don't fucking tick a box and hope that you miraculously feel better, right? You got to trial stuff. What works for me might not work for you. What works for you might not work for the next person. But as we unpack these things here, pick and choose what works, experiment, trial things, adjust, adapt, and uh, 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 and find your sweet spot. So that's all I want to say on that. Now, these 10 pillars to get right, and then we'll unpack them each. Go like this. Sleep, your diet slash gut health, having a sense of purpose, uh, silent reflection, the importance of play and movement, community and connection, discomfort and adversity, having boundaries, lifelong learning, and studying the brain. So they're the 10 things we're going to look at. So let's dive into sleep. It's a great place to start. It's arguably one of the most important, yet it's often the most elusive. I, for one, can vouch for that anyway. Um but ultimately, what I want to stress here is that it needs to be a priority, uh, your sleep, getting enough and getting it right. Forget stressing about the perfect night's sleep each and every night. That anxiety is just not going to serve you at all. But let's have a conversation around some important points worth noting, particularly if you currently consider yourself a poor sleeper. We need to understand the importance of sleep, the impact it has on our well-being, and of course, what you can do to optimize this area of, of your life. And the good news is there's a lot. So there's quite a few biological processes that happen during sleep, and I think it's cool to note. Um, I apologize if you're not a, a sciencey sort of geek like I am, but I'm gonna I want to dive into some science that hopefully you can use. So when we're sleeping, the brain's essentially storing new information, and it gets gets rid of toxic waste. It cleanses itself. Nerve cells communicate and and reorganize, which support healthy brain function. The body it repairs cells, restores energy and releases molecules like hormones and, and proteins, which are the building blocks 
of the optimal chemistry we're trying to create. So without adequate sleep, it's pretty hard to get that chemistry equation right. Um, so these these processes are critical for overall health. Without them, your body can't function correctly. So the question then becomes, how do I fix it? What the fuck do I do to get a better night's sleep? And we're going to look at that. I've got some tactics that have worked for me that maybe you haven't explored before. But before we do, just a little bit more science behind why we need to sleep. Um, and hopefully you enjoy geeking out as much as I do. If not, just fucking bear with us and <laughs> we'll get to what to do in a minute. So a couple of reasons why we need to sleep. Firstly, for energy conservation. According to the energy conservation theory, we need sleep to save energy. The concept is backed by the way our metabolic rate drops during sleep, right? And this helps explain why poor night's sleep will leave us fighting fatigue the following day. And when we're fatigued constantly, um, it's pretty hard to show up in the world as the best version of ourselves, right? Our thinking patterns get a little shoddy and over an extended period of time, that just that just spells trouble. Uh, emotional well-being. So similarly, good sleep is obviously critical for emotional well-being. So during sleep, brain activity increases in areas that actually regulate emotion. So it's no longer esoteric or mystical. There's something actually taking place uh, to your emotional well-being when you're sleeping, right? So Another reason to get it right. So the parts of the brain that are affected are the amygdala, the hippocampus, the medial prefrontal cortex. The whole, there's a few others. They're the few that I know, just to show off a little bit. Um, and and the change in activity supports proper brain function during sleep. So that's important to get your emotional stability right. So uh, look, getting your immunity sorted is another important factor behind sleep. There's a whole range of of areas and reasons why we sleep um, that we could dive into. But for now, let's let's bring it all back. We know what happens if you don't get enough sleep, right? You're fatigued, mood swings, anxiety and depression over an extended period of time, poor memory, poor focus and concentration, poor motor function, have a weakened immune system, uh, can affect our weight gain or weight loss, high blood pressure, insulin release. So what are some takeaways then to begin implementing into our routine to, to get a better night's sleep? Now, here's a few that have worked for me. Again, really want to stress the point about it's trial and error and what works what works for one might not work for the other. So here's what I've found that um, maybe you control. The first one's getting the right temperature. So you might find it super relaxing to sit in front of a fire and read a book or whatever you do before you go to bed. That's great. Uh, I personally like to be cold. And there is some science behind having the right temperature, and it might vary depending on the person. For some reason, um, I like to be a little bit cooler going into bed. So if I'm too warm or too hot, it's um, – it's no good. I'm in strife for a good night's sleep. So getting my temperature right is is perfect. I have a nice shower in the evening. Um, often I'll finish on cold. That's a whole other can of worms. Uh, but that's usually a few hours before I go to bed. And then I try and get back to a more of a core temperature before before sliding into the, into the covers. So play around with it. But if you haven't considered it before and not sleeping very well, trial um, different temperatures before you jump into bed. Another thing that I found really helpful was blue light blocker glasses. So um, my vision's fine. Um, yours might be too. But the idea of blue light blocker glasses, that it, it prevents the blue light that electronics give off, that often we're looking at at night, whether it's the phone, laptop, or, of course, the tally. Um, it prevents the blue light effect on our circadian rhythms. So it's essentially telling that your tired brain that, no, it's not actually time to sleep yet when when maybe it is. So it completely fucks up your circadian rhythms, which is nasty business. So getting um, some protection from that always helps. And blue like um, blocker glasses are one way to, to do that. They're usually like 60, 70 bucks and could be worth investing in. 
Having a regular bedtime is massive, so consistency is the key. Take pride in your bedtime and rarely disrupt the routine, right? It's not about being a fucking boring person, but take pride in the fact that, yeah, I go to bed at this time, fucking YOLO, deal with it, own it, and feel really confident in, you know, we're going to leave somewhere early or whatever. Prioritize the bedtime. The routine's important. Now, obviously, you can go outside that from time to time. You want to still live an enjoyable and social life, but having a bed routine um, and, and timing is key. Uh, stretching and yoga in the late afternoon, so removing that tight, uh, tightness and, and soreness from the body, particularly around the neck and shoulders, really helps, and yoga is awesome for that. It helps regulate the breathing patterns and helps transition back into the parasympathetic nervous system, which I talk a lot about, which is that calm and creative rest and digest, vis-a-vis the sympathetic nervous system, sort of that fight or flight Um particularly after a stressful or highly aroused or high arousal type day. So stretching and yoga in that sort of late afternoon to introduce your evening and separate from your afternoon of work or whatever you're doing is huge. Uh, Meditation, journaling, breathing, I'm going to unpack that separately uh, in a moment. But ultimately, like I've touched on, it's less about ticking a box and it is about preparing your body and your brain for a night of rest. So trial and error, what works for you? For me personally, I like to meditate sort of early-ish evening um, before dinner, again, to sort of transitioning into the parasympathetic nervous system, um, journaling. I actually do not every night, just when I feel like it. Again, it's not about ticking a box, but sometimes I feel compelled. I'm a little bit more aroused than I'd like to be before I go to bed. I find that just putting thoughts on paper crystallizes thought, kind of gets it out of my brain onto paper and can set that aside um, and allow my brain to just chill the fuck out and, and transition into a nice sleep. And breathing, of course, is huge. So, um, the next is gut health and diet. And this is huge. A whole host of things we could dive into here. But at the end of the day, an unhealthy gut will often result in an unhealthy mind. There's a massive connection between the gut and the brain. And look, when you're fighting against biology, no matter how opt- quote unquote optimistic our attitudes might be, you'll always lose that fight, right? Biology wins every time, which is why I'm so driven by science. So let's instead reorient our focus to the bio- the biology or root causes, Okay. of serotonin production, which is like a calming hormone, like a feel-good hormone, 90% of that production is made in the gut. So it follows then that the health and well-being of our gut is going to have a pretty significant impact on the serotonin levels flooding our nervous system, right? So why does this matter? What is serotonin? Like I touched on, it's an important chemical and neurotransmitter, and it helps regulate mood, social behavior, appetite, digestion, sleep, memory, sexual function, and much more, um, which I won't expand on too much because I'm not a doctor, um, but ultimately gut health will impact brain health and mood. There is actually a, a, a super highway that runs from the gut to the brain. It's the vagus nerve. It's the longest cranial nerve, cranial nerve in the human body. Um, it literally connects the brain and the, and the gut. So your diet is huge. So then the question obviously arises then, well, what do you do about it? Um, and again, it's trial and error, but knowing which foods can contribute to a healthy gut uh, and which ones can cause problems is a great place to start. So pretty obvious, but if you're eating highly processed, high sugar foods um, or bad oils like canola oil, vegetable oil that are cooked at temperatures that actually fuck up the molecular structure of the oil and become quite dangerous, carcinogenics, um, Basically, those those kinds of foods, you should probably know what they are, cutting them out of your diet for an extended period of time will have a big impact on our mood. Um, 
and then introducing really positive foods. So collagen boosting foods like uh, bone broth and salmon can help imp- uh, protect your intestinal wall and improve digestion. High fiber foods like broccoli, Brussels sprouts, um, peas, avocados, pears, bananas, berries, they're all full of fiber, which aid in healthy digestion. And then of course, foods in high uh, foods that are high in omega-3 fatty acids. So salmon, mackerel, flax seeds, uh, they're packed with omega-3s, which may help reduce inflammation. Um, and in turn, improve your digestion. The third pillar is having a sense of purpose. Idle hands are the devil's play tools, one of my favorite quotes, essentially meaning this idea that if we lack intention or purpose, that no good will come from it, right? That disconnection from the world and feeling like a fucking puppet at times, being pulled every which way and having no real sense of direction kind of floating by, Um is not good. There's a difference between intentional relaxation and just kind of wandering aimlessly. And that lack of purpose, not only does it mean for a less interesting life, it's actually detrimental to our mental well-being. Um, I think that's pretty universal, but it's certainly been the case for, for me. So showing up with intent is critical to our mental well-being. Having a sense of purpose, a sense of what you do matters, that what you do contributes in some way, or that what you do will be in service of your goals to some extent. Uh, even if that means something as simple as the drive to work out, right? So knowing that over time, your body will take the shape you want it to such that you look good naked or whatever it is that motivates you. And so is born a sense of purpose or reasoning behind your actions. It's not just turning up at the gym or lifting weights just, again, to tick a box, hoping that you'll feel better, even though there are a whole host of positive endorphins that come from physical exercise. But we're talking about purpose here. And there's a range, a whole whole host of different examples we could give, but intention is huge. Um, the better we get at conditioning ourselves to consider the outcome or reason for doing something, so much more joy comes from the work or process itself, right? As Stephen Covey says um, from the seven habits of highly effective people, one of the seven habits is begin with the end in mind, that clarity creates power, uh, that direction and a sense of purpose, Okay. A sense of pointlessness is the quickest way to fatigue and, and feeling flat and then uh, opening up, you know, more a- feelings of anxiety and, and fatigue and, and stuff like that. So um, purpose is huge. There's two ideas or concepts I want to unpack a bit more here. The first idea is something called Ikigai, okay, the Japanese secret to a long and happy life. And then the second idea is um, a process by which to consider on how to cultivate passion and meaning in our lives from a very practical standpoint. So this idea of Ikigai, in Japan, uh, millions of people actually have Ikigai. A reason to jump out of bed in the morning is essentially the loose translation of what that means. So the question becomes, what's your reason for getting up in the morning? What's your Ikigai, right? The Japanese island of Okinawa, I think it is, um, where Ikigai has its origins, is said to be home to the largest population of centenarians in the world, people over 100. (laughs) Um, so could the concept of Ikigai contribute to longevity and well-being? In a nutshell, Ikigai is this intersection, if you imagine a Venn diagram, between what you're good at, what you love, and what the world needs, right? So if you imagine kind of three circles where they intersect is really Ikigai. What are you good at? What do you love? What does the world actually need? And if you can find a sweet spot in between those three, you'll have a sense of purpose and your ikigai. Hopefully that makes sense. Now, let's transition a little bit into the idea of cultivating passion, right? 
Um, it's an important topic. People talk about it a lot, and it's critical to mental well-being, having a sense of passion. Uh, if you think about the alternative and being passionless, doesn't mean doesn't sort of sound too appealing. Um, but passion is a process, and I don't. I don't. Lo- I know people are well intended, but I don't like the terminology or the articulation around passion um, when people f- suggest that you find your passion, like it's missing or that's under a pillow or something. So, I like the idea that it's um, that it should be cultivated and built because then it becomes more empowering, and and you, you retain your sense of agency, knowing that you can have an impact on actually cultivating passion in your life instead of hoping it turns up one day. So. What do you do? Step one is list what you're interested in. So right now, whether you realize it or not, whether you like to admit it or not, there are things that interest you, whether it's sports, um, you know, team building, speaking, reading, gaming, philosophy, uh, health, medicine, music, entertainment, like this, there's shit that you're interested in. It just is. So list it all out. Right? Forget about the outcome of this experiment right now, but list what we're interested in. Step two, begin exploring those until you either lose interest and then cross it out the list, fuck it. Uh, or perhaps if you're finding it interesting, it may turn into a fascination. So fanning that interest or the flames of that interest into a fascination, okay? And just the process of doing shit, being active, having a sense of curiosity and exploring new things is a step in the right direction to creating a sense of purpose because now you have intent. You're exploring these fields of interest to create a sense of joy, ideally, but also to identify if perhaps there might be a career or a mission um, or passion this field in this field that you can dive into. So step three then um, is to fan those flames of fascination into a passion. And the critical ingredients here are that it takes time. So time is an important variable. And you need improvement or progress. You have to get better continually. If, you, if you're not growing, you're dying. Um, such a cliche quote, but it's so true. Feeling good, it's a science. It's a recipe. If you're in a funk, unfortunately, it's not a matter of going to bed at night, like I said, and just waking up miraculously the next day full of beans. No, it takes an intention, a sense of direction and purpose. The idea of building a passion is more of an archaeological architectural build, I should say, than it is an archaeological dig. So it's a good way to frame it. Let's look at community and connection. One of the deepest drives for humans I found is, well, it's just fucking true, is the need to feel a sense of belonging, which makes sense when we consider our saber-toothed tiger-fighting ancestors when uh, at that time being ostracized from the group or the community often meant certain death, right? You were left to your own defenses and you'd get fucking attacked by some crazy animal. So over the years, this sense of belonging has become fundamental for survival. Um, and as a result, it's wired into our nervous systems now over to- over the, our ancestry. So the question becomes then, how are you connected to your community? Okay, and this is fucking massive and a, a big variable for me. And I'll just sort of digress a little bit and hopefully you find value. So I, I work for myself primarily, have a little business, which is cool. Um, but almost two years in now, and I spent a lot of time by myself um, off the back of spending 10 years in an office with people. And that's, look, admittedly, I am very extroverted <laughs> compared to some. Um, so potentially more so I'm driven by human connection, but everyone to some extent needs it. And without even realizing it, I was lacking that stimulation throughout the day, that human connection, that belonging to something, whether it's a group of friends or a workplace or a purpose, that camaraderie. I wasn't playing group sports anymore. Um, and this was arguably the biggest variable that I realized 
that once I got right had a massive impact on my mental well-being because I was in a fucking funk. And again, I won't sort of derail too much into my personal story, but um, regaining a sense of community was huge. So look at who are you connected to? What are you a part of? Is there a bigger um, purpose or is or at, at the very fundamental level, um, are you spending time with people that you love and actually care about and find enjoyment from? Okay. Now, another idea I want to look at is the power of touch. So did you know that being touched is essential for brain development and ongoing health? And for the science of it all, which is just deeply fascinating, and you can uh, you can read more in a book called The Stress Solution I read recently um, by Dr. Chatterjee, or follow his social content. You'll see a few more ideas there. Um, so a few tips on this. Minimum fortnightly social dinners or lunches um, or sporting games or whatever you're into with friends and, or family, ideally once a week, but fortnightly will suffice. So just don't be a fucking hermit. Um, it's tough like at a time like this, being COVID-19, but where possible, stay connected in some capacity. I know we hear that all the time, but fucking do it. Really, really stay connected. Community is huge. And then another tip is to get physical touch where you can get it. Obviously, being smart during these COVID times, don't want to um, break the law or, you know, get someone sick. Uh, but where possible, certainly under normal times, seek out physical affection where appropriate. <laughs> and this advice, of course, is for consenting adults. Can't imagine too many youngsters are listening to this podcast episode, but um, prioritize sex. <laughs> Make it a priority. Touch is really, really important. Um, there's, again, a whole host of science behind it, which I won't dive into too much. I might actually get an expert in that field to come onto the show and discuss the powerful benefits of regular sex. Um, and I don't mean an expert expert shag with all the tips around what to do, but I mean a science-based researcher, of course, what's happening in, in our neurochemistry when we are connected in that way. Anyway, engage in high-level stimulating conversations is another tip of what to do. So schedule time with good people you can have great conversations with about philosophy, your thoughts, thinking out loud, different ideas. Um, that engagement and stimulation is huge. Um, so prioritize that. Play and movement. So we know our North Star is optimal brain chemistry, right? Essentially what we're looking at when we explore these ideas here of improving mental well-being is a combination of psychology and physiology. So to change up our physiology, it follows then, doesn't it, that moving our body um, will probably have some sort of impact. Now, exercise is a very powerful depression or anxiety fighter for several reasons. Um, I won't go into them all, but look, it promotes all kinds of changes in the brain, including neural growth, reduced inflammation, uh, new activity patterns that promote feelings of calm and well-being. It also releases endorphins, of course, powerful chemicals in your brain that energize your spirits and make you feel good. Um and it can also serve as a distraction exercise, allowing you to find some quiet time to break up the cycle of negative thinking patterns that feed anxiety or, or depression. Um, there's, a, there's a ton of super cool science I might leave, again, from uh, an expert to come on and, and chat with us about. Um, but a few tips on what to do immediately that perhaps you might not have considered when it comes to play and, and movement, right? And exercise all sort of fits under this umbrella. Yoga, I've touched on, but moving your body to promote blood flow, to stimulate the right neurotransmitters, to use breath work, which which will um, alleviate anxiety and promote a sense of calm. It's all about training, right? Repetition. So that practice is huge. Um, Push-ups and star jumps and stretching every 60, 90 minutes throughout your day, particularly if you work in an office job. If you're stagnant and stationary and sedentary, 
you're fucked. It's not good. So breaking that up by, yeah, moving the body, not getting a massive sweat up, but just sort of lifting the heart rate a little bit is really important. It has a big impact on our mental well-being. So you don't have that extreme fatigue and, and negative thinking patterns that result at the end of the day. So yeah, push-ups, star jumps, you know, moving the body is uh, really big. And then a fun one is is dancing throughout the day. Um, you don't have to be a massive extrovert like me. I get it. Maybe you do it privately in the, you know, in your home or a little um, secluded area, workplace, whatever. But chuck on some music throughout the day and fucking move your body, do some weird shit and, and get crazy. Um, the science behind what it's actually doing is, is really interesting. Um, plus, it's really fun. Uh, another tip is to schedule in fortnightly play with friends, right? Um, something engaging that moves the body too and requires attention or interaction of some sort and where you can improve over time as well. I think they're all important variables. So things like golf, tennis, running, bowling, um, something that is yeah engaging and actually moving the body and fun and social. So if you tick all those boxes in one, there's no reason you shouldn't do that at least fortnightly. And if you're not already, if you look back at your calendar over the last couple of months and that's missing, um, could be an insight for you. Discomfort and adversity. This is a really interesting one, and it's important to it's an important pillar to get right and have in our lives. Only through challenge are we fashioned for greatness. Yeah, look, a little cliche, but it's pretty fucking true. Intentional discomfort is the key here. Prioritize opportunities to get outside your comfort zone and do hard shit. Ultimately, your reputation with yourself should be what you're fighting for, not what other people think of you. We hear that all the time. Don't worry about what people think. And it's fucking true, but it's hard to kind of internalize and do something with that advice. I like to frame it um, and just reorient or redirect the attention to the reputation you have with yourself. What you think about yourself when you're by yourself is the biggest determinant of success um, and ultimately happiness, right? Of fulfillment and feeling good and everything that we're after. So shaping ourselves and our identity into someone who subconsciously says to themselves, I'm someone who does hard things, really just builds that credibility and reputation that we have with ourselves. has a big, big impact on our self-esteem, our sense of worth, and this overall arching idea of mental well-being. So some easy examples of what you can do to do that. Cold showers. The physical and health benefits are one thing, but just doing something hard first thing in the morning is a good way to set up your day and build that credibility with ourselves. Exercise, of course, learning a new skill. So working through the growing the growing pains of learning um, is that discomfort and that intentional adversity. It's well worth doing. Standing for something. So the idea of that is, you know, you'll stand if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything or something like that. So very, very true. Now. Um, I don't want to get distracted too much, but it can be, it can be um, uh, uncomfortable to stand up for what you believe in. So, look, I'm all about having a good time. I'll still like to have a few beers from time to time and, and sort of maintain my social connections. But at the end of the day, I'm really passionate about mental well-being. I like philosophy. I like high-level, articulate, interesting, intelligent conversations, and I like to encourage people to do the same and follow suit. And if people aren't on board, aren't on board with that, that's cool. But I could not give a fuck. I'm passionate about it, and I like to stand up for that. And yeah, it's uncomfortable and dis- and and um. Yeah, it's uncomfortable at times, but um, staying true to myself, again, a little cliche there, is is really beneficial for my well-being. So speak your truth. Essentially, the way I interpret that, I know that topic gets thrown around a lot, is what do you believe in and, and find something to stand for and share about it and share it passionately with people. There you go. Um, having a bed routine and, and bedtime. I touched on it in the sleep 
um, pillar, but stick to it. And that's an easy way to have discomfort and adversity in your life and build credibility, I suppose. Wake up time and morning routine. Again, these are all things that are just remotely uncomfortable, easy to do, but easy not to do. And that intentional discomfort and working through it is really training our brain and our nervous system um, to be more, far more equipped for challenge and it makes it a lot easier to work through times of anxiety, depression, things, things like that. Hopefully that makes sense. Which uh, So then boundaries is another pillar, similar kind of idea. And this might sound like a strange one for the conversation around mental well-being, but for me it's critical. So I want to share the idea of bright lines and having them in our, in our life. So look, removing indecision, uh, and indecision is the thief of joy. Removing indecision just creates far more power. The paralysis that comes from indecision or the guilt that comes from making poor decisions that do not move you in the direction of your goals or or better yet, that are consistent with the person that you would like to be, your highest level or your highest self, if you will, um, will cripple you and ultimately catalyze symptoms of anxiety, fatigue, brain fog. And if you're not careful, bouts of depression. So let's talk about congruence. I, hypo- I, hypo- I <laughs> hypothesize that there is a devastating hit to our self-esteem and sense of pride when we do not act in congruence with who we would like to be. When we make a decision that active, actively defies a promise we had made to ourselves, we lose credibility with ourselves and we ultimately lose our reputation with ourselves. So um, that is fucking huge. So I hope that lands and makes sense. I don't know if I'm articulating this well enough. Um, but having bright lines, it removes the indecision and it removes the possibility of, of, of what I just touched on, of making decisions that counter or go against the promises you'd made to yourself. Okay. It's not about being perfect, not at all. Um, and bar a few universal ethical considerations and laws, ultimately you get to decide what's important to you. Again, it's not about ticking a box. So this will depending on where you're at in life, but working at what your bright lines are and writing them down is a really important practice that I encourage you to do. So for example, at 20 years old, you might be at a party for three days straight on no sleep, 127 beers or vodkas, and you know maybe some other stuff to help get you through. And and look, then be a bit dusty for a day or two before returning to your usual chipper self. I don't know if any of the 30-plus-year-olds can relate to that distant memory of who they used to be. Um, perhaps now, though, at 30-plus or 40 or wherever you might be um, in the scheme of things, times have changed. And the problem I see in today's world is people at 30 are chasing the feeling that they had when they were 20 with the same strategies they had when they were 20 that don't apply when they're 30. Does that make sense? Um so yeah, it's not a judgment thing. You fucking do you, boo. <laughs> but you know what you know what's going to work. And if it's if it's hurting you and you know it, bright lines and do not go outside those bright lines ever. Building that um commitment over time will have a dramatic impact on how you feel about yourself and the world and and your overall well-being, okay? Silent reflection is another important pillar to get right. So what does this mean? Meditation, journaling. They're just a couple of practices that are worth exploring. And there's a few different ways to go about it. Again, this this whole message is about trial and error. So meditation, journaling, for me, it's about transitioning into the parasympathetic nervous system. It is a tool, not a to-do list item, um, to create optimal brain chemistry, right? It's training our brains to feel the way we want to feel. Um, and it's, the more we train that, 
the more equipped we become and the more ready our our brain is to direct attention where we, where we want to direct it. So, for example, it makes it far more easier to remove ourselves from a sense of anxiety and onto a feelings of gratitude and, and joy and fulfillment and things of that nature when we've built the skill of directing our attention. And that's the power of meditation. Um, journaling, I mentioned it a little bit uh, earlier, it crystallizes thought, helps us think more clearly. And I just found that practice really beneficial. Um, so again, just experiment with it and find what works for you. The last couple are about learning, right? So lifelong learning. Tony Robbins once said the meaning of life is to learn and to grow. Now, while there's a lot of nuance to life, um, I think it's a pretty good one-liner to wrap it all up. There's something stimulating about learning that keeps the brain active and engaged, and it's that engagement that it that helps ward off the burdens of anxiety, depression, other mental health challenges. Um, not always, of course, but often you know, anxiety, depression, et cetera, they come as a young adult. Um, when the process of going through schooling and learning comes to an end and all of a sudden our work or career doesn't keep us constantly learning or upskilling. Now, there's obviously other factors, but it is an interesting correlation, I find, right, that when our learning essentially comes to an end, that's often when these mental health challenges come up. So um, a little tip from me, what do you want to learn? What skill? Is it language? Your ability to articulate or communicate? Is it to captivate an audience? Is it to write or play music? Is it to become business savvy? Is it to be funny? What, like, what is important to you? And fucking start learning that skill. Go through the growing pains of it so you build that credibility for yourself by sticking to it. Um, and just the process of learning actually cultivates a sense of well-being uh, in and of itself. So, uh, yeah. One of the primary byproducts of this whole fucking podcast that I do and the stuff I want to do with Braintainment is essentially to make learning cool, right? I want to make it sexy. I want people to almost show off with a level of bravado their commitment to learn. <laughs> and I think it's an unshakable self-esteem when you build your credibility and your self-esteem around your willingness to learn and improve than anything else. It's a very anti-fragile self-esteem to have. So hopefully there's something in there you can use, Um but look at your life right now. Where are you learning? Where are you committed to upskilling? And if, if you come up short, it's a pretty good indication that maybe that could be worth exploring and an indication as to why you might not be feeling amazing. And then finally, study the brain. So look, in and of itself, you're getting intrinsic benefits and value and joy from, from learning. But knowledge, look, it equals power, or I should say knowledge times action equals power. Applied knowledge equals power. The ambiguity that comes from not knowing why you're feeling a certain way is half the battle I've found at times, okay? Um, it's like, I'm just trying to think of an analogy. It's like an assailant trying to attack you in a dark room and you're helpless, um, but if you're able to then draw light on what and where your problem is or that person, you can more easily address it, right? For example, kick the shit out of the assailant. Does that make sense? Um, pretty weird fucking analogy. I think I'm getting a little bit tired but um, and not my best work, but you get the idea, right? Study your brain. When you know what and where your problems lie, you can more easily address them instead of leaving it to chance and feeling that sense of ambiguity of like, what the actual fuck is wrong with me? Um, having that clarity, it gives you, um, and that understanding, it, it gives you a sense of calm and empowerment, I find, because you can then do something about it, right? So the more you know about the brain, which is ultimately what's dictating everything in your worldly experience, um, having that knowledge just sets you up for, for a win. So, that's it from me. Um, did any 
any of these tips or thoughts land most with you, I'd love to know if they do hit me up, you know, slide into my DMs or reach out to me, whatever. For no other reason, I just like to have these conversations and connect with people. And I think uh, I mentioned at the top, but particularly at a time like right now in the midst of 2020, which is, you know, been an interesting year to say the least, people are struggling. Um, and I just, I know that, look, there might not be that many people listening to this podcast, but I know the math, I know the numbers across the world of how many people are impacted in some capacity by mental health challenges to know that someone listening to this is going to have their own problems. So I hope me sharing a little bit of my story and what's worked for me has been somewhat beneficial. Um, and that's it until the next episode. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks again for listening to this episode. If you did enjoy it, if you got some sort of value from the episode, please do us a favor and subscribe to the channel. We've got lots more to come and share it with your friends and family. It all helps our mission of raising a million dollars towards brain injury recovery and research. So please share the podcast and I look forward to sharing more with you on another episode.